A key step in building emotional intelligence is enhancing your self-awareness. That's been the message from Daniel Goleman since he published his groundbreaking work on emotional intelligence over two decades ago. On this episode, Daniel joins me to share some of the tactics to do this well. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 353. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And if you've done any thinking about leadership, which I know you have because you're listening to the show, uh, undoubtedly, you've heard the term emotional intelligence, the importance of leaders, and by the way, all of us as human beings, of being able to tap into our emotional intelligence and improve our emotional intelligence. Today's guest is going to challenge us to not only be thinking more about emotional intelligence, but also to start to enhance one of the key competencies of emotional intelligence, which is our self-awareness. And if you've heard of emotional intelligence, you already know something of today's guest. Daniel Goleman is an internationally known psychologist who lectures frequently to professional groups, business audiences, and on college campuses. In 1995, he published the blockbuster best-selling book, Emotional Intelligence, a book that now has more than 5 million copies in print worldwide in 40 different languages. The Harvard Business Review has called emotional intelligence a revolutionary, paradigm-shattering idea and chose his article, What Makes a Leader, as one of the 10 must-read articles from its many popular reads. Emotional Intelligence was named one of the 25 most influential business management books by Time Magazine. He's recently released 12 concise booklets that are primers for the competencies of emotional and social intelligence, titled Building Blocks of Emotional Intelligence, and now he's launching an emotional intelligence coaching certification. Daniel Goleman, so glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Well, Dave, I'm I'm delighted to be here. Well, as I was thinking about our conversation, I was thinking I've I've been in your work and following what you've been doing for probably 20 years now. And as I was preparing for our conversation and reviewing some of your writing, I one of the things that I came across was interested in is I found out you were surprised by the interest in emotional intelligence among the business community when the book first came out. Why was that a surprise to you? You know, when I when I wrote the book Emotional Intelligence more than 20 years ago now, people were warning me. They're saying, you know, you can't use the word emotion in business. And back <laughs> then, maybe you couldn't. But since the book came out, and then, of course, my Harvard Business Review articles and a book I did for the Harvard Business Press on uh, leadership itself called Primal Leadership, it's it's become kind of the background. It's foundational. So you, you probably read about it, or, uh, had readings in it, and you're organizational uh, behavior courses or in leadership courses. It's pretty standard now. And that's a, a huge shift. I really didn't expect it. I had one meager chapter in the book, Emotional Intelligence, called Managing with Heart. And that got such pickup. That's what led me to the Harvard Business Review, for example, and and from there uh, into business generally and organizational life. Mm, well, I think if there's any legacy you have left to us, I mean, you've so much, but it's giving us the permission to talk about emotion in the workplace. And today, you know, we take that for granted, I think, in a lot of places, but that wasn't the case 20 years ago. And you know, I was thinking about this, and for years, I facilitated a client workshop. And one of the exercises I take people through was to 
think about the most successful person they knew and what competencies they had had that made them successful. And the vast majority of things people would mention would be what you and I would call emotional intelligence competencies, not things that were cognitive ability. And I'm pretty sure the person who taught me that probably was inspired by your work. And uh, it was interesting for me to read in the self-awareness booklet that many organizations have determined that 80, 90, sometimes 100% of the competencies that set apart their star leaders are based upon emotional intelligence. Why is that so important for leaders? Well, you know, it it is important, and the data uh, absolutely supports what you're saying, Dave. Uh, For example, the uh, work done at the group I work with often, Corn Ferry Hay Group, found that if someone's strong in emotional intelligence, they're likely to be a very high-performing leader. I just saw some new data. This is so interesting, so counterintuitive. At a tech industry among engineers, imagine, engineers are asked to rate each other on how successful they are in their own work. And the peer peer ratings turned out to correlate zero with IQ and very highly with emotional intelligence. Oh, fascinating. The reason is... Emotional intelligence is about how well you manage yourself. Can you keep your eye on your goals? Can you stay positive? Are you self-aware? Do you have empathy? Can you connect with people well? And it turns out that these people skills are what make the difference between people who just are good enough to keep their job and people who are truly outstanding by whatever metric makes sense for that position. You said managing yourself a moment ago, and the first competency that has been a hallmark of your work has been self-awareness as a starting point for emotional intelligence. Why is that the starting point for doing a good job with this? So uh, it turns out that uh, self-awareness is fundamental. If you are tuned out of your own range of abilities, then you know you can have horrible blind spots and think you're doing a great job. And sadly, there are all too many leaders who have that particular, I would call it a pathology of leadership. But self-awareness is also fundamental to monitoring how well you're doing, to knowing whether how you see yourself fits with how others see you. It also, interestingly, is fundamental to knowing your values and acting from your own sense of meaning or purpose, which makes you a a really uh, authentic, resonant leader. It means you can articulate a shared vision from your heart, which will move people because it speaks to them. So self-awareness has a, a range of consequences. Another, for example, is if you do have a realistic sense of your own strengths and your limits, you can have a self-confidence which is built on reality, not just some illusory sense that you're good at something, even though you may not be, but you know what you can do. And so you're confident when you do it. I, I sense that there's probably people who they hear that for the first time and they think, well, I, I see as a leader how I need to know where the organization's going where the team's going, but they don't necessarily appreciate the value of where they're going. And and one of the things you've written is that someone who's highly self-aware knows where they're headed and why. What is it about knowing one's own direction that becomes so critical for where others are going and how you're leading? Well, you know, people follow the leader, you know, as the saying goes. And uh, you don't want to be a leader who's charging in one direction while everyone else is going in the other. That's, that's one thing. But self-awareness has two 
very important dimensions. One is monitoring yourself, knowing what you're doing, why you're doing it, what you're feeling, and how it's driving you for better or for worse, and also how you see yourself fits with how other people see you. Are they? Are you communicating effectively? Are you able to get a message across? Can you actually lead? Or, or are you fooling yourself about that? And self-awareness is fundamental to answering these basic leadership questions. One of the things that you write a lot about is brain biology in relation to self-awareness. And I get the sense that there's some critical pieces there that even if biology isn't our isn't our area we're as interested in that if you have a sense of like how this works it helps you to really navigate self-awareness better and it, it seems to me like the two key areas are the prefrontal cortex and also the amygdala can you share a little bit about how that plays a role in self-awareness so the prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain which is self-aware it's the part of the brain that regulates attention it's also the part of the brain that plans that decides that weighs what to do. The amygdala is part of what's called the salience network in the brain. And this network decides what's important to you right now, and it does it instantly. The amygdala, as part of that network, network is the radar, particularly for threat. It's answering that one question, am I safe? And it always has in, in throughout human history. And today, the am I safe answer is uh, in terms of some symbolic reality. Am I being treated fairly, unfairly? And the brain is wired for survival in a way that allows the amygdala, if it thinks there's a threat or a danger, to freeze the prefrontal cortex and take it over and drive it to its own sense of, of what we should do. And this can cripple us. And it can also do something which is very damaging for any leader. You can impulsively do something or say something that you'll regret later. And the reason you'll regret it uh, is largely because of the consequences for other people. You might blow up at them or you might do something just feel is really off and then you have to do repair work so hopefully the prefrontal cortex is going to manage the amygdala it does have circuitry that can do this if if you don't get totally hijacked and when it manages what you do then your leadership actions will be highly effective mm, okay so so two things i'm really curious about that one is you know, as, as human beings, we're all going to fall into this, right? So the amygdala is going to hijack our brain and take over in, in moments that are tough situations. When that happens, are there things that are key indicators that when we can feel or be thinking that we're like, oh, okay, I this is the amygdala hijacking me right now. Sure. In the moment, are there things that, that we can right. we can watch for? Yeah. Well, one of, one of the giveaways is you have a very strong negative emotion. You're really angry or really fearful, for example, very suddenly. And that's a signal, if you have good self-awareness, that your amygdala is flaring up. And you might want to pause before you uh, react, rather than just doing the first thing the amygdala tells you to do. The problem with the amygdala is it falls back on overlearned responses. So, you know, you can start acting like your four-year-old self, not like a mature leader. And that's something you'll definitely regret. So the signals that the body sends you feelings that go with being angry, with being fearful, whatever, are something to tune into with self-awareness, to monitor and see them as warning signs and see if you can uh, manage them better, which means waiting, not uh, just responding from what they tell you to do, but getting your prefrontal cortex in the game. So 
taking that moment to stop when you feel that rush of emotion can be the thing that maybe makes the difference between me saying something or doing something that I regret versus giving myself time to catch up. And does does time like taking that minute or two, does it or maybe it's hours? I mean, how much time is it? Does it depend on the situation? Well, it's at least a few seconds. <laughs> and if you have the time, it depends on the situation. Sometimes you have to respond immediately. Yeah. But just pausing and naming what's going on. This is a, something else anyone can do. Oh, I'm getting angry. That actually shifts the energy ratio toward the prefrontal cortex and from the amygdala. The fact of your being able to step back in your mind, see what's going on and name it. One thing that will help, by the way, is a mindfulness practice. Mindfulness is direct training and self-awareness and lots of businesses now are are offering mindfulness to uh, people there. And if you do a mindfulness practice every day, it helps you self-monitor. And self-monitoring is self-awareness in action. And it will help you be more able to see the hijack as a hijack, name it, and then deal with the situation more effectively. Mm, Okay. So uh, part of the other thing I'm curious about too with that then is how if at all, can we prevent some of that? Because I know, of course, there's going to be times that we get in those situations. Um, Are there things that we can do that keep us from having that amygdala hijack in the first place? Well, yes, you can notice what your triggers are, and you can intentionally avoid them, minimize them, or you can use what's called self-talk, where you tell yourself, oh, this is happening again. I'm about, I might get hijacked. Um, That's not this time. In other words, you can work with the situation if you have self-awareness. It's your, it's your radar for what's happening in your life, what's happening at work, what's happening to you as a leader that will help you see things before they happen or handle them as they happen. What's an example of something that you've seen people navigate through and maybe get a better job at being able to see it coming than they were previously? I was talking to the CEO of a national construction company, and he said, you know, I I always blew up and got angry at people that brought me bad news, even though they weren't responsible for the news. And with a little, you know, self-reflection, self-awareness, and by the way, self-awareness allows time for self-reflection. He said, I realized it was my own fear of failure that was making me blow up. Uh And once I knew that, I, I didn't do it so much anymore. So in other words, self-awareness can give you insights into dysfunctional habits that you may have as a leader so that you can begin to change them. It's really interesting how much of this comes back to noticing and labeling the things that are happening so you can see those patterns and then, like I said, be able to prevent that a bit in future situations when you see those patterns repeating themselves. Yes. And and when you say noticing and labeling, you're talking about key functions of the prefrontal cortex. And if you can activate the prefrontal cortex, particularly in those hijack moments, it gives you a much more internal degrees of freedom uh, over how you behave. <laughs> one, one definition of maturity is widening the gap between impulse and action. Ah, it's just like that quote from Stephen Covey's book, in the seven habits of highly effective people that we have a choice. I'm not going to get it right, but we have that choice as humans between stimulus and response and taking that time to decide how we're going to respond to something. 
Yeah, sure. And the stimulus leads to the impulse. And if it's the amygdala, it's an instant impulse. And the pause gives you a more opportunity to have a more mature reaction. And then what he calls the response, stimulus response, I'd say it's the same. What you do then, what you say, what you do uh, will definitely be more effective than if you just did that knee-jerk thing. Mm. I reached out to a few of our Academy members in preparation for our conversation and uh, who've been fans of your work and asked them, you know, what would what are they wondering sure. about? And Belinda wrote and said, she was curious about what are some of the concrete steps that we can do in order to develop EI competencies and particularly around self-awareness. We just mentioned one of them. When you're starting to work with leaders, Daniel, what are, where are the starting points of the conversation around self-awareness as first steps? Well, one of the most powerful assessments of a leader's self-awareness is to take a 360-degree instrument, not for performance. A lot of organizations routinely use 360s to see how people are doing. That, that skews the results. I say use the 360 only to develop further strengths as a leader. I developed one uh, with my colleague, Richard Boyatzis, and the folks at Corn Ferry Hay Group called the Emotional and Social Competence Inventory, which looks at the 12 specific competencies that we've found distinguish the outstanding leaders uh, from average. And then you, you rate yourself, and then people whose opinions you trust and value rate you anonymously. You get that feedback as an aggregate. But the gap between how you see yourself and how others who know you well see you tells you where your blind spots might be, what your, your uh, gap is between my own sense of myself and a more realistic assessment, that's the starting point because that tells you where you could usefully focus. And that's an exercise in self-awareness. I think any leadership development has to start with enhancing self-awareness. Then during the process, and I, I recommend for leaders, a, a coach, a one-on-one coaching, I think is the the state of the art, you use your self-awareness throughout the whole process because you have to monitor how you're doing. You have to give yourself constant feedback. Notice, am I really changing? Am I really improving on this dimension? Whatever that dimension might be. There's just no substitute for that kind of feedback and a one-on-one coach. I, yes, I, I'd, I'd agree. I think and also, it's not only that there's no substitute, but you want to enhance your own capacity for being self-aware, for being aware of how you are in the moment, monitoring how you're doing, tracking it, seeing if you're getting better. For people who, for whatever reason, coaching isn't an option or they just don't have the resources to invest in it, what are things that you found that have been helpful to be able to get that kind of objective feedback that maybe, even if you're not working with a coach, that, that has worked? Well, you, you know, you can get a, a 360, you can use the ESCI 360, for example, on your own or through HR uh, and then work with a learning partner. I, I do encourage people to get support, not to go through a learning process only by, you know, on their own, but to have someone, a, a group or a buddy or someone that they can talk things over with because there will be days when you, when you blow it. And many people give up thinking, I can't do this. I can't make this change. But actually, you want to see that as a learning opportunity, an, a time that you can uh, look at what happened, what the trigger was, how you behaved, and prepare yourself for the next time that trigger comes along. 
you found that one of the hallmarks of self-awareness is a self-deprecating sense of humor. I'm so interested in that. Uh, how did that come up? And, and what have you seen that's, that's well, made that so important? You know, <laughs> it, it's interesting. There's a study that was done at BU some time ago where top 10% leadership performers, these are people chosen by their own organization because of hard metrics, were compared with leaders at the average. They were videoed in interacting with their direct reports. And it turned out star leaders compared to the just average ones had three times more laughter going on. And that suggests that people are more relaxed with them, that they feel close to them. They can be themselves more. But then there's this very interesting fact of humility as another mark of leadership. And one indicator of humility is a self-deprecating sense of humor. You tell jokes at your own expense. Mm. I love it. So one of the other things that Belinda was wondering about is, she said it's been over 20 years since Emotional Intelligence published. Uh, How have the ideas evolved and what's changed since then? Well, for me, uh, one of the big changes has been my model, which started out with five components, self-awareness, self-management, motivation, empathy, and social skill has become four because our statistical analysis showed that we could take motivation as a form of self-management and fold it in. And then the other big change is that there are now 12 competencies that embed within each uh, across those four domains that build on the core ability. So, for example, with self-management, there's keeping your eyes on that goal and a long-term goal, not being distracted for it, from it, coming back to it. That, that's an ability uh, that we find among star leaders. Such leaders, for example, like feedback. They like metrics. They like to know how they're doing. Uh, they are not defensive about it. They see it as news to you, something that they can then help do better, uh, even better than they are. So that's one of the competencies. And so the two differences are my model now has just four parts. And by the way, my, uh, my record Harvard Business Review article, What Makes a Leader, it's the most requested reprint in their history, I think, yeah. has a five-part model. And I know people have only read that article when they, too, have a five-part model of emotional intelligence. My more current thinking has the four and then the 12 competencies across that. By the way, if you're interested in the competencies, you can get a primer on all 12, each of the 12 from Keystep Media. Oh, great. So, I, and I'm going to say some more about that at the end because I've uh, grabbed all 12 of those and I'm writing notes oh, to good. share with our audience too. So, Oh, sure. Great. So another question came in from Katrina and she actually had mentioned that article. She, she asks, you talk about how some of emotional intelligence skills are traditionally viewed as weak or soft and not ideal for management quality. For example, when you talk about self-awareness, you've mentioned that many executives mistake candor about feelings for, and you use the word wimpiness in that article, and fail to give due respect to employees who openly acknowledge their shortcomings. She's curious if you found ways to overcome some of those traditional biases. Well, I I think that uh, having emotional intelligence valued in the culture of a company allows people to be more honest and more realistic. And if you look at the indicators uh, or the characteristics of high-performing teams, for example, you find that such candor is part of it because people feel a, a high level of trust. They know that being honest with each other about their strengths and limits is going to help them work better as a team. So it's, I think that what's happening is a shift 
from, you know, 20 plus years ago where, you know, you didn't mention emotion to valuing emotional intelligence as a toolkit that helps everybody be more a better performer and particularly leaders. So I, I don't know that there's a particular trick to it, but I think that as the culture shifts that way, uh, people will value the open, honest expression of, for example, a person's limitations in a way that they wouldn't have some years ago. Hey, I get the sense, just having watched the culture over the last 20 years and thinking about my own work and training, that this shift has happened in a lot of places. And there's certainly places it has not, or it's happened very slowly. But whereas words like love and emotion and caring were very unusual 20 years ago, today, in a lot of organizations, they're much more embraced. Yes. And I think that the uh, the languaging change that, that you've noticing is one indicator of uh, the shift toward valuing uh, emotional intelligence in, in workplace culture generally, which means that leaders more and more are being evaluated through this lens. And people who are seeking employment are also being evaluated through this lens as well as high potentials. And the, uh, it's, it's kind of a self-reinforcing cycle. The more that happens, uh, the more allowed all of this will be. Katrina also was wondering about gender differences in emotional intelligence, and specifically when thinking about managers who are developing and promoting future leaders. She was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Sure. Actually, first of all, we have to remember all of emotional intelligence is learned and learnable. Where a person is now, is just a photograph. It's not a video. It doesn't show how they can progress. Uh, Secondly, it is also very interesting that women, on average, tend to score higher on norms on every emotional intelligence test I know about. However, those norms are two largely overlapping bell curves. Women are particularly good at some kinds of empathy and at social skill compared to men, on average. Men uh, tend to be better uh, in some indicators at managing upsetting emotions and self-confidence. But this doesn't mean that Uh, Any given woman couldn't be as self-confident as the most self-confident man or any given man as empathic as the most empathic woman. The real payoff, though, is a study that was done by Ruth Jacobs uh, at Hay Group um, some years ago of star leaders, which found that the gender differences that you see on average disappear among the top 10% performers. Mm. That's really interesting because you know, we talked earlier about how many of the competencies for leaders as they move up are so tied to emotional intelligence. And yet, in a lot of industries, we still see such a dearth of of women leaders in the most senior levels of leadership. Is it merely a matter of of time and we are just catching up? Or are there other things that you've seen in your work that are that are obstacles that it, that you've also seen some of the most successful women be able to navigate around? Well, uh, I think that the the lag in wages and position of women uh, compared to men is in part a fact that culture change happens slowly and that companies are realizing that they're undervaluing ass- human assets when they don't uh, promote women a- as well as they do men. I think part of it may be that it, it just will take time to make these changes. They're very ingrained. Yeah, that's the bottom line is that more and more organizations are recognizing the value of this uh, human skill set, 
Although I would also say it's quite uneven. There's still some organizations that promote people for all the wrong reasons. One of the pathologies of that that's all too common is that during the recession that started in 2008, a lot of companies brought in managers or leaders or promoted people who would get results in the short term, but did it in the wrong way. They weren't very emotionally intelligent. They burned people out. They alienated people. And it's undermined the human capital of those organizations. People, you know, talented people leave. And as a result, uh, I think more and more companies are starting to rethink what it is they want to see in a leader and understand that the emotional intelligence uh, abilities really do matter. Well, speaking of the abilities and developing them, one of the things you've put together uh, and recently released is the primer booklets on the emotional intelligence competencies. Uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about those and the coaching certification that you're making available now for those who really want to get better at this. Sure. So uh, we've taken the, the 12 competencies and put everything you need to know about each one in a uh, pocket size booklet. And so there's a set of 12, each of which you can carry around individually. So if you're working on uh, being better at influencing or persuading or at empathy or, uh, you know, managing your upsetting emotions, your emotional balance, there's a primer on each one of those. Coaches are starting to use them too, because you're working with someone on that particular ability. And we have the entire emotional intelligence skill set, the competencies boiled down into one of these pocket-sized primers. This is part of a larger initiative I'm involved with at Keystep Media. We're starting with a, a program on coaching in emotional intelligence. This is something that people leaders are asking for more and more. And we feel that we want to have a set of a cadre, really, of coaches who are uh, skilled in precisely that. We're starting this coaching program uh, in the fall uh, 2018, but then every six months thereafter, we'll have another group go through. And I'm very involved in that and in the design. So if there are coaches out there listening to you who want to enhance their skills in helping people become more emotionally intelligent, that too can be uh, looked into at Keystep Media. All right, great. Well, I have grabbed all 12 of the books already. I've been reading through them. They're fabulous. Uh, So we're going to put links to all of that, plus the information about the coaching certification for those of you who that's of interest to in the show notes and this week's leadership guide. And so lots more coming on that. Uh, Daniel, by any objective measure, you're one of the most successful thinkers on leadership and management of our generation. And of course, the best leaders are always growing, learning, and changing their minds. What have you changed your mind on in the last five years? Well, I've become very interested in a dimension of being and excellence, which is orthogonal, not parallel to, but rather in another dimension, but I think enhances emotional intelligence and any leader's behavior. And that is people's sense of purpose or meaning, what's valuable to them. And this is really new thinking for me. There, my friend at Harvard, Howard Gardner, calls it good work, where you take what you're great at your excellence, and you pair it with what you love doing, your passion, what engages you, and align it with your ethics, your sense of purpose and meaning. And that is uh, work that's fabulous. If those three things line up, your excellence, your engagement, and your ethics, then uh, you're on fire. And that's, that's a new insight for me. 
Daniel, I appreciate everything you've done for all of us on bringing the work around emotional intelligence into our workplaces and into our families. It's really helped me to be a better leader, and I know so many in our community. Thank you so much for all your work. Well, thank you for your good work. It's a pleasure. Daniel Goleman is the author of the new series, Building Blocks of Emotional Intelligence. Uh, Check it out and also the new coaching certification. Most of you are not professional coaches who listen to the show, but if you are, you may want to look at Daniel's Emotional Intelligence Coaching Certification uh, if you're interested in doing a deeper dive in the evidence-based framework for coaching and emotional intelligence. We'll have links in the show notes and the weekly leadership guide for that. For the rest of us, you can explore a lot more about the 12 competencies of emotional and social intelligence in the guide set that we talked about during the conversation, Building Blocks of Emotional Intelligence. They're concise primers for each of these areas. I went ahead as uh, I was preparing to interview Daniel and purchased the whole set of them and have been going through them over the last few weeks. And as I often do for interviews, highlighting some of the key concepts. So I'm going to be including links to the PDFs of my highlights from those guides in the show notes and in also the weekly leadership guide. So watch for that on Wednesday when you get the guide. If that's something you'd like to dive into more uh, and see what's in there, I think that'll be really helpful to you. Speaking of being helpful, Daniel and I were talking as we were preparing for this conversation, and he said, hey, I'd love to hear what questions come in and come back in a month or two and respond to questions from the listening community. And so I made the invitation right away for him to come back, and he is going to be back here in a couple months. And we're going to tackle questions from you that came out of this conversation, or perhaps you have a question for Daniel on emotional intelligence in general, or something you've tried in the past, or maybe have read from his work, or just a general question on emotional intelligence. If that is you and you'd like to ask a question, here's where to go, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. When you get to that page, there's a link to record an audio question, or you can write a written question. Be sure to mention it is for Daniel Goleman, and then when he comes back on the show in another month or so, I'll consider that question as part of our format for that show, and he'll be responding to questions. So again, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. If you have a question about emotional intelligence that you'd like to toss Daniel's way, he would love to respond to it. Now, a few related episodes to today's conversation. Back on episode number 196, Marshall Goldsmith was on the podcast talking about creating behavior that lasts. And if you go in the podcast library and click on the button personal leadership, you're going to find that episode coming up. Marshall talked about some of the key practices, not only from the research, but also with his clients and also his own personal practice as one of the top coaches in the world, what he does in order to change behavior and make it last. Of course, self-awareness is a starting point for that. And then changing behavior in order to become more effective is key. So episode 196 is a place to go for that. Also, I would recommend episode 336, The Choice for Compassion, another one that's going to come up if you hit that personal leadership button on the library site. That was a conversation with Dr. Edith Eager. She is a 90-year-old Holocaust survivor. Uh, Some of you will remember hearing that conversation from a few months ago. She is probably one of the most self-aware people I've ever had the privilege to interview on the show. If you are looking for some inspiration of someone who has done the hard work of self-awareness, 
of self-examination and utilize that in order to bring great things to the world. Episode 336 is a must-listen. Check out my conversation with Edith Eager. Also, I would recommend episode 341, How to Leverage Your 360. A few weeks ago, I had Tom Henschel on the show. He talked about some of the strategies for getting the best results from a 360. Of course, as Daniel mentioned during this conversation, doing a 360 or an emotional intelligence assessment is a very effective way to increase your self-awareness. Tom and I talked about that in the conversation, and Tom highlighted one of the key points that Daniel repeated today, which is that 360's assessment should primarily be for development, not for performance management. So you hear that theme echoing again and again as far as how we utilize some of these instruments. Episode 341 is the one to check out if that is of interest to you and some of the logistics of how you do that. Now, all of those episodes and many other resources are available to you if you set up your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you're interested in doing that, just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. It's going to give you access to the entire back catalog of the last seven plus years of expert interviews on the show, searchable by topic, the free audio course is there. All my book notes are there. The library is there. The resources are there. There's a whole bunch more I'm not even mentioning. Again, coachingforleaders.com. If that's of interest to you, join in with our community. And uh, I'm really excited to join the conversation with you as you get involved with the free membership. Hey, Bonnie and I are back next week for our monthly Q&A show. If you have a question that you'd like to submit, uh, maybe not related to emotional intelligence for us to consider for a future Q&A episode, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, submit it there. We'd love to hear your question and consider it for one of our future Q&A shows. Have a great week and see you next week back with Bonnie. Take care.